All right. We're continuing on with our shotgunning effect here of just blasting away at various news items we've accumulated. Uh, just the one happens to be in front of me from Walter Scott's parade last Sunday. The last I heard, asked the questioner from Connecticut, Suzanne Somers was treating her cancer with alternative medicine. How is she faring? So far, so good, Somers57 tells us. I have two more years before I'm out of the woods, but I feel healthier and stronger than ever. This is where alternative medicine uh, sort of slash quackery borders on the dangerous. I, I don't know the details of Suzanne Somers' cancer, but I do know that alternative therapies to treat cancer uh, in as a general rule are a very bad idea. Conventional therapies are not perfect, and sometimes they, of course, fail. And under the circumstances, it's hard to fault someone for seeking out alternatives. But if at age 57 they're catching the cancer early and uh, conventional therapies um, are promising, it seems very bad for a role model like Suzanne Summers to, um, to take the alternative medicine approach. Of course, we shall see what happens. If she fares um, poorly, then I think this may drive people into more conventional therapies, which I think is generally going to be a good idea. On a much happier note, uh, Marilyn Vos Savant, reputedly the world's smartest woman with an IQ of something like uh, 200, answers questions every Sunday, and I get a kick out of these sometimes. Uh, last week had uh, the question asked, when a helium-filled rubber balloon leaves the hands of a child, how far will the toy rise, and what happens to them? Do foil balloons fare differently? Oh, this was a very interesting question. Apparently, they've done studies of this, and latex balloons will explode when they rise roughly six miles above Earth, um, which is basically the height of a, which is the cruising altitude of a jetliner. Uh, foil um, balloons, mylar type, apparently explode or wilt only a mile or so up. You know, someone's actually studied it, and I find that pretty interesting. I don't recall ever seeing a balloon while flying across the country in a, uh, in a jet, but uh, I'll have to ask some of my pilot friends. Here's a quote I, I just have to share. I've got a number of quotes I should share with you. Here's the opener. This is from Alexandra Stanley of the New York Times. Wealthy divorcee Ariana Huffington is a journalist the way Prince Charles is a farmer. All right, a bunch of quotes uh, I've amassed here that I think are worth, uh, worth going through. From Groucho Marx, the immortal Groucho, said, Politics is the art of looking for trouble, finding it everywhere, diagnosing it incorrectly, and applying the wrong remedies. All right, his buddy from uh, the, the early days of film, uh, W.C. Fields, was quoted recently as saying, A fool and his money are lucky to meet in the first place. And, of course, uh, Samuel Goldwyn, famous for what are called Goldwynisms of uh, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, <laughs> was quoted as saying, I guess someone said something about cliches, tired old cliches, to which he responded with, well, let's have some new cliches. All right, another one from Movie Land. Orson Welles, the, of course, the, uh, the genius that produced Citizen Kane, said, happy endings depend on stopping the story before it's over. And I love the Einstein quote. Albert Einstein once said, You do not really understand something unless you can explain it to your grandmother. And uh, Robert Downey Jr. has a pretty good one. 
He said, I'm allergic to alcohol and narcotics. I break out in handcuffs. <laughs> and uh, I think final quote here from Mark Twain. Don't part with your illusions. When they're gone, you may still exist, but you will have ceased to live. Well, here's to that. We've got some statistics piling up here we probably ought to share with you as we shotgun away here. Uh, Apparently, taxpayers are wildly inflating the value of cars donated to charity. According to a GAO uh, study, taxpayers saved $654 million on their income taxes in the year 2000 by deducting the value of donated cars. But the GAO found that when the charities sold the cars for cash, they received less than 5% of the value claimed by the donors. Uh, A lot of folks are complaining about uh, the price tag of what's going on over in Iraq, and well, they should. Um, They're proposing, apparently, to spend $5.7 billion on electricity, including $1 billion to rehabilitate and replace the power infrastructure. People have noted that they're spending $250 on electricity generation for every Iraqi, compared to 71 cents a person spent on federally funded electrical work here in the United States. Uh, Apparently, the Bush administration plans to spend $20 million for executive job training. A four-week management class would cost the taxpayers $10,000 per Iraqi executive. Um, Here's one that startles me. We talked about Pete Rose and what a jerk he is on last week's show. Uh, Apparently, a poll done by ESPN showed that 62% of Americans say baseball's lifetime ban on Pete Rose should be lifted, even though he's now admitted to betting on baseball games when he was a manager. I don't get this one. Um, Someone did a survey of North Korean newspapers and broadcasters since 1974 and discovered they've used no less than 1,200 different terms of endearment for Kim Jong-il II, including matchless hero who rules the world with virtue. That one has a nice ring to it. Great leader who opened a new history and top representative of revolutionary integrity. Apparently, 25% of America's dogs and cats are overweight. And 50% of those pet owners won't admit their pet has a weight problem. All right, apparently this new Russell Crowe movie about uh, sailing around on the high seas has um, generated some interest. The Bee published an article on some, uh, some ye old seafaring jargon. Apparently a lot of terms in our language come from the, the era of uh, sailing the, um, the tall ships, and we didn't, don't even know it. I didn't know most of these. Uh, the word scuttlebutt apparently is derived from what was the name of the water barrel they had on a ship that had a hole in it for dipping. It was a favorite shipboard gathering spot, just like today's office water cooler, scuttlebutt. A slush fund, of course, which means um, you know, extra money, came from the fact that the fat or grease left over from boiled meat on board was often sold ashore by the ship's cook and made into candles. So a little slush fund, some extra cash. Uh, three sheets to the wind. The sheets, of course, are the uh, the sails, or the ropes attached to the sails. 
If they're loose and they're flapping in the wind, the result is a lack of control and purposeful motion. Hence, one who is inebriated is three sheets to the wind. And apparently from Iraq, the former Iraqi Deputy Prime Minister Tariq Aziz changed his youngest son's name. Saddam Aziz will henceforth answer to the name Zuhair. All right, let's cite the Harper's Index just a little bit here. Harper's Magazine publishes um, a series of statistics in every single issue. We've got uh, uh, numerous back issues here to, to, to look at, but let me just cite three of them. There's been much talk lately about uh, intelligence failures in the wake of 9-11. In the October 96 issue, they noted that, uh, well, here were the statistics. Weeks after Russian President Boris Yeltsin had heart attack last summer that the CIA found out about it. 11. In June of 98, they uh, had a statistic. Estimated number of news stories published worldwide this year on India's imminent nuclear test plans. 500. Dovetailing with number of CIA analysts who predicted the country's nuclear test last May. Zero. Looking good, boys. Uh, Let's see. Amount the U.S. Defense Department admits it has lost track of. Okay, this is like an accounting error. This is in 96. $18 billion. Uh, okay, this is the same issue, 96, October. Uh, number of people sentenced under California's three strikes law for murder or rape, 65. Number sentenced for petty theft or drug possession, 5,900. I'm sorry to say I voted for this three strikes law because they promised me They would never use that law except for violent criminals. You know, like the 65 murderers or rapists they put away with it. But not, not for petty theft or drug possession, like the 5,900 as of October 96 that had at that point been stuck in jail under three strikes. All right. In uh, March of 2002, Harper's published this statistic, which I thought was rather interesting. Number of nuclear warheads possessed by all Arab countries combined. Zero. Now, I'm not sure at this point. Well, Pakistan is very definitely not an Arab country. So as of this point, that number still is definitely zero. Compared to minimum number in Israel, 100. Now, there was a, a... A story that surfaced like last week saying there's a suspicion that Israel may have nuclear warheads. Hello? (laughs) I, I can't believe this is being floated as a legitimate news item. Israel has had nuclear weapons since the early 1970s. The U.S. helped Israel become nuclear armed in the Middle East because they thought it would be a good idea to add stability to the region. We'll come back to that story in the future. All right, Mr. McMillan, that's enough shotgunning. Let's uh, let's bring all this miscellaneous stuff to a close.
Alright, one final item here, uh, one short item. That was about 10 years ago today that uh, yours truly threw a party uh, for the fact that my wooden boat was stuck back in the water. It was worked on by the finest wooden boat person I know, Mr. Bob Sheffield. And we celebrated by sticking it on the water. We're uh, 10 years down the road, and <laughs> as far as I know, the boat is back out of the water being worked on again. <laughs> Beware. Uh, I'm not saying that you shouldn't go out and buy yourself a boat or especially a nice old wooden Chris Craft like I did. They're a lot of fun, but uh, holy mackerel. But uh, I was thinking of the fact that um, at this party 10 years ago, a friend of mine is now departed. Dr. Bill Hartzell was in attendance. Uh, Dr. Hartzell used to work out at Yolo General Hospital. Some of you may have been treated by him within the listening audience. Bill was a great guy. I'm sorry that he's gone. But I remember a joke he told me at this party that, what the heck? Uh, Okay, Bill, in in memoriam, (laughs) what's the difference between beer nuts and deer nuts? The answer would be that a packet of beer nuts will set you back $1.89, whereas deer nuts are still under a buck. Bill, you're a funny guy. We all miss you. Now, if you're listening to National Public Radio earlier this week, you heard one of uh, George Bush's fundraisers. Actually, I think he was the head of the, the Republican National Committee talking about, you know, I don't know if you're aware of this fact. Bush is raising almost $600,000 a day for his upcoming um, uh, re-election effort. And... Um, the head of the Republican National Committee said, well, of course they have to raise this kind of money. There's going to be a lot of money spent to try and unseat Bush. And he specifically mentioned moveon.org as one of the people they need to amass a huge campaign chest to fight. Well, <laughs> moveon.org does not have a lot of money. But you know what? The Republicans may have to come up with a lot of cash to fight what is being done Uh, in a truly democratic uh, method using the internet. Now, we had Robert Greenwald, the producer of Uncovered, The Whole Truth About the Iraq War, on a few weeks ago. And uh, MoveOn.org got got around to sponsoring in homes across the nation um, this documentary. And this is a big success. MoveOn has also gotten quite a bit of ink, including the Chronicle, for its effort to have commercials, a contest for commercials. Um... The winner out of 1,500 entries was to be shown on TV, and uh, there have been some pretty good efforts. You ought to go on to the the website and check these out yourself. I recommend you go to moveon.org. I I don't have the actual website, but I'm sure they can cross-link it for you. Um, These are some pretty good efforts, and I would recommend that you check them out. But a lot of people are noticing that there may be a fundamental shift here in, in American politics. Howard Dean has gone from nowhere to the leader of the pack, largely based on how well he's been able to organize himself on the web. A lot of, I guess, a lot of contributions have come to him through the internet. Um, We'll be following this very closely with you. The California primary, of course, is coming up on March 2nd. It's going to be Super Tuesday. My review shows that uh, for the Democratic 
nomination, you're going to have to capture 2,160 delegate votes. California will provide 370 of those alone, which is basically one-seventh of the way there. On Super Tuesday, there'll be 1,151 delegates up for grabs. I think it'll, uh, I think it'll be clear who's going to be the nominee by March 2nd, which is pretty doggone early. Normally, things are not clear until about June, so it'll be quite curious as to whether uh, you know Howard Dean or um, Wesley Clark or or other will uh, surge to the front. And by the way. If you're a Republican or independent or whatever, you may want to consider registering as declines to state, which I'm going to do this week, so that uh, I can cast a vote in the primary, or at least a vote that'll mean something for one of the Democrats. Obviously, George W. Bush is going to withstand the uh, the, the challenge from Mr. Buchanan uh, for the nomination. And we're going to hopefully have Dennis Kucinich back on the program. Dennis Kucinich, uh, unlike uh, Senator Gephardt, Senator Kerry, Senator Lieberman, or Senator Edwards, has been openly uh, opposing this war in Iraq, as have we on this program. Now, uh, a couple weeks back, one of these uh, these Sunday, uh, it might have been the parade, I'm not sure which one, something about who's in the news, someone asked a question nationally. Uh, as follows. Dennis Kucinich, the Democratic presidential candidate from Ohio, seems like an intelligent guy. Why doesn't he get any press? Tell me about him. Which was answered as follows. Kucinich, 57, is a four-term congressman and self-proclaimed FDR Democrat who's focused on three issues, getting America out of Iraq, improving conditions for workers, and instituting universal health care. He doesn't get much ink because political reporters follow the candidates they think have a real chance, and he isn't one. His campaign is struggling just to raise $4 million at press time. Now, I, I got to ask, are we just suffering from an excess of democracy in this country when if you're not one of those aforementioned senators or Howard Dean or Wesley Clark, you're just not going to get any ink? I mean, here's you know the cover of Newsweek with Jon Stewart, and I admit The Daily Show is once in a while funny. I'm not a big fan. Uh, Jon Stewart quoted as saying, I heard Dennis Kucinich say in a debate, when I'm president, and I just wanted to stop him and say, dude, hey, uh, John Stewart, dude, you know, I get that that's kind of funny, but you, you know, you really can't rule someone out. Bill Clinton started out way back in the pack. Jimmy Carter started out way back in the pack. You just don't know what's going to happen before it's all said and done. And, uh, you know, is Dennis Kucinich not electable? I don't know. There's a cartoon that appeared uh, that was reprinted here, um, I guess, from, from the Washington Post, the media interviewing all these nine different candidates. Here's our question. Which one of you would lose least badly in November? Okay, big joke. Well, there's two types of polls I'm not going to trust in the near future. Is the, all of them showing that George Bush is going to you know, open a can of whoop-ass on no matter who he runs against? Because if you remember... Those of you with short memories, back in the year 2000, all the polls, I mean all the polls, showed that George W. Bush, candidate Bush, had a commanding lead over Vice President Al Gore. Well, we went on record in, uh, in March, or was it April? It was early in the spring of the year 2000, as saying when November election came around, it was going to be a horse race, and we were right. And we'll go on record right now as saying that this is not going to be George W. Bush in a walk. Do not trust the polling data and do not trust 
economic assessments showing that everything is going splendidly in the U.S. economy. A lot of folks have a tremendous vested interest in putting out such data, so I would not tend to take it at face value. Uh, One of our uh, political liaisons, uh, fine investigative journalist Jerry Polikoff, sent us an email that I want to repeat for you. Jerry said he's listening to CNN this morning, and the way they were describing the evolving polls in New Hampshire, he considered to be an outrage. He thought it was a deliberately misrepresenting what's going on with Howard Dean and gave us the following analysis. Jerry noted that according to CNN, Dean is slipping in the New Hampshire polls, and Clark has shaved 11 points off Dean's lead in recent weeks. They're referring to the American Research Group's daily tracking poll, which showed Dean 25 points ahead of Clark on 12-26-03 and only 11 points ahead on 1-7-04. But the thing is, it isn't Dean who was slipping. On 12-26, Dean was at 37%. Kerry was second at 19%, and Clark was third at 12%. By, um, by 1-7, Dean has slipped two percentage points to 35 percentage points, but that's that's within the plus or minus 4% sampling error. Clark has is in second place at 21%. Carey, on the other hand, has plummeted from 19% to 10% and is now in distant third place. So yes, Wesley Clark has turned a 25-point deficit into an 11-point deficit, but it's not Dean who's in free fall, it's Carey. All right, let's close this segment with a very interesting item from the uh, the press, which is not getting the attention I think it deserves. Over in Iraq, the Iraqis, and this includes Islamic clerics and former Ba'athists, are calling for elections. The U.S. is planning to basically uh, produce a what's called a tightly controlled transfer of power to Iraqis, by June, just in time for the election season heating up, George Bush does not want Iraq hanging over his head. But uh, the Iraqis are saying, hey, why don't we just go ahead and hold an election? The Bush administration is finding itself caught in the embarrassing position of resisting such calls for you know, democracy now in Iraq because it doesn't fit our purposes. Uh, people are saying that Iraq is not Vietnam, but I tell you, those of us who are old enough to remember... Recall how it was that uh, in Vietnam, the United States stepped in to make sure that no elections were held because it was clear that Ho Chi Minh was going to become the popularly elected leader of a united Vietnam. The country was kept into two segments, the North and the South. Free elections were not held, and this was uh, played an integral part in subsequent mischief over in Vietnam. I'd also remind you of the fact that... Um, after Nguyen Cao Ki and Nguyen Van Tu became vice president and president of Vietnam, respectively, well, when they got around to holding a re-election campaign, they decided it would be best for the country if they were to run unopposed. The war in Iraq was not about bringing them democracy. We said this on the show before the war. We said it during the war. We now say it again after the war. But did you really believe it? I hope not. I certainly don't hope you believe it at this point. 
Anyway, uh, stay tuned for our third segment. I expect to have a special guest uh, come on to talk about, uh, well, whatever we're talking about on today's show, which is just about anything and everything. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax, and you're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. Thank you. 